0: good morning, friends. We are in our 27th study of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And our sermon text this morning is the next text. I say that because our sermon text this morning might strike you as rather strange. It's about head coverings for women. Now, I've known for a long time that I was going to have to teach on head coverings for women since last summer when I chose 1 Corinthians. And for some odd reason, I have really not been looking forward to it. I was even thinking about wearing a hard hat today, but I think our sermon text suggests that I shouldn't. But I will tell you this, I'm so thankful that I didn't have to preach this text last week on Mother's Day. (laughs) The Lord granted us new elders and new deacons just to save me from having to preach on head coverings on Mother's Day. Thank you, Lord. You are certainly worthy. You know, I, I say all of that in jest, but the truth is this text and this issue is controversial and it's sensitive, and it is viewed very differently by good Christians. And so this morning, I want to encourage us that rather than any of us having our minds made up about this issue and refusing to budge, which is might, might be how we might come to a text like this, I encourage all of us to begin right where every Christian, every faithful pastor needs to begin. And that is settling ourselves under the authority of God's word and allowing God to say what God says through his word and throughout time and history. So this morning in this sermon, I plan to give you my interpretation of this difficult text. I'm not going to have time to explore all of the views on this particular subject, but I will do my best before the Lord to explain what I believe this portion of the Bible says. But I just want you to remember that this is still my interpretation, and really good Christians disagree uh, with me about my interpretation this morning. So I want to start by saying something that might seem obvious to you if you have read this text already. But I think it's really important. This text, as I mentioned, is usually thought of about head coverings for women. But I suggest that the real issue is not head coverings, but headship. Specifically, God ordained headship over his church. my prayer this morning is that every Christian man and woman will glorify God by living according to the headship that he has ordained for his church. Because friends, here's the gospel. Through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, God has exalted Jesus as head of his church. And that is our only hope in life and death. Now, before we read this text, I I think that you'll be helped, as I was, by commentator David Garland to see the chiastic structure of this particular portion of scripture. You remember that chiasms are used often uh, throughout biblical literature. It is where um, the, the author purposefully begins and ends, and then works his way in to the middle to make a specific point. And so there, you'll see in our text today, there is an A, B, C, D, C, B, A format. It's parallelism. A, B, C comes down to the the main point D, and then he works his way back out C, B, A. I want you to see that. And in fact, I put that on the back of this note sheet for you. So I think this morning our sermon text is particularly complicated, and I would like for you to actually have one of these note sheets to reference throughout our sermon so Open your Bibles and get out this note sheet. And if you don't have one of these note sheets, that's okay. My lovely assistant, Jason Kopp, will be happy to pass one out for you. So just raise your hand if you do not have one. Raise your hand. Keep it up. Jason will come around, find you, and give you one of these. Uh, In the meantime, please take your copy of God's Word. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This morning our text is verse 2 through 16, and if you're using the Black Bible at your feet, that's on page 958, 958 in the Black Bibles. I want you to notice the chiastic structure, first of all, because it helps us to understand Paul's flow of argument and his main point. He begins... In verse 2 and 3, with a principle. Then he states the problem in verse 4 and 5. And then he explains the problem, verse 6 through 9, which leads to his main point in verse 10. Then, after he's made his point in verse 10, he begins to work his way back out by giving more explanation in verse 11 and 12. Presenting the problem again in verse 13 through 15. And then finally, ending with the admonition that he began with in verse 2 and 3. Principle, problem, explanation, point. And then explanation, problem, admonition. That will be the four points of my sermon this morning. We're going to be looking at Paul's principle, his problem, His perspectives on this, just to keep it with the P's, his perspective on all of this and his point. But I'm actually going to rearrange those in a a little bit because it makes more sense for me logically to explain it to you. But you can be looking for those four things as we go through this reading. Now let's read God's word together. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul to the ancient church in Corinth and by inspiration, and preservation to the modern church all over the world, including us right here in Winchester, Virginia. Verse 2, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a woman, pardon me, the head of a wife is her husband, And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Verse 7, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the, Im- uh, the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Verse 11. Nevertheless, in the Lord... Woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. That's God's word. Amen. But that's a difficult text. Strange to be sure. And so let's go through it carefully, as I have done. First of all, I want us to look at the problem. I think that's the best way to approach this text is to understand the problem first so that we can understand why Paul is addressing this in his letter to the Corinthian believers. Look at verse 2. Paul begins verse two with a commendation. Do you see that? Now I commend you. But then he quickly segues to correct another problem. Beginning with a commendation and then quickly segueing into a correction. Uh, that's a rhetorical device known as greasing the skids. Maybe you've heard of that before. So he begins in verse two. Now I commend you because you remember me In everything and maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you, but. Do you see that, but, in verse 3? But, I want you to understand. So, after the commendation, he immediately begins to correct another problem. This whole letter has been Paul addressing problems in the church. What is this problem? Well, look at verse 2. He says, You maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. And then look at verse 16. He talks about the practices of other churches of God. These traditions that Paul is talking about are doctrines and practices which Paul and the other apostles received from Jesus and taught to all the churches about how they should live. And Paul commends them by saying, you have been keeping all of these traditions very well, but there's one of these traditions, one of these practices, that I need to give you some more clarification on. And so what is the problem that Paul wanted to correct? Well, I want you to notice three big pieces of this puzzle. First of all, look at verse 3. This is about headship. Not just head coverings, but headship. Look in verse 3. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. This is about headship. Puzzle piece number 2. Look at verse 4 and 5. This is about public worship. Look in verse 4. What's the problem Paul is addressing in verse 4? Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered is dishonoring his head. Verse 3, that's Christ. So, praying and prophesying, praying is talking to God. Prophesying is talking about God. Men who pray to God or talk about God with their head covered are dishonoring Christ, is what he just said in verse 4. What's the second portion part of this problem? Verse 5, every wife who does the same thing, prays or prophesies, talks to God or talks about God in the local church, with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. And according to verse 3, who is her head? Her husband. So this is about public worship. It's about headship. It's about public worship. Puzzle piece number 3, verse 3 through 15, the rest of it. Everything that follows. Notice, this is about gender distinctions. Gender distinctions. Paul's argument goes back and forth, sustained back and forth between men and women, men and women. Now, I will quickly say that the words here between men and women could be could be um, translated husband and wife or men and women. I think that we can say for sure that it involves husbands and wives, but probably all men and women. But if you want to get technical, for sure, the ESV is not only translating, but they're also interpreting this by talking about it in the context of marriage, where clearly God has designed husbands and given husbands headship over their wives. So, This is about headship, this is about public worship, and this is about gender distinctions. When we put those three pieces of the puzzle together, we can see a picture of the problem going on in Corinth. Here's how I'll describe it. Men and women within the church were not maintaining the tradition established by Paul for headship in public worship. Instead, they were dishonoring Christ and one another by throwing off their God-ordained gender distinctions and roles. Now that problem fits really well into everything that's been going on in the letter uh, to Corinth so far. You think about how this church has been dealt with and talked to and sort of exposed throughout ten chapters now. Just before this, those of you who have been with us, chapter 8 through 10, Paul dealt with problems associated with freedom. The church claimed to have freedoms, and they were exercising their freedoms in a way that was inappropriate. Here, it seems that some people were taking freedoms with their gender and exercising freedom in their gender that is inappropriate. What comes after this, chapter 11 all the way through 14, begins another section where Paul deals with public worship. Everything in chapter 11 through 14 deals with the church gathering for worship. He begins first with this issue of headship. Next week, he will talk about gathering for the Lord's Supper, the agape feast. Then he will talk about the exercise of gifts in the church. Chapters 11 through 14, all about public worship. So I maintain that the problem here in Corinth could involve both genders. He begins in verse 4 and 5 saying men who do this and women who do this would be inappropriate. But I want to be more specific. Again, I'm giving you my interpretation of this text. I think the problem here, I'm quite sure in my interpretive opinion that the problem here in Corinth did not lie with the men specifically. But unfortunately, many of the women were the ones who were at fault in this particular situation. Now, I want to show you why. So the text highlights both men and women, but I want you to notice that after Paul makes his argument carefully in verse 10, he focuses acutely and specifically on women who are conducting themselves inappropriate. Look at verse 10. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Doesn't say anything more about men. Verse 13 he's summarizing the problem. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for what? A wife to pray to God with her head uncovered. He doesn't say, again, is it proper for men to do it covered? He just focuses on the ladies because I think, in again, in my interpretive opinion, while men may have been playing a part in this, Paul is referencing men as a foil to show that Headship and gender distinctions are ordained by God and apply to everyone. But in this particular situation, it is the ladies who are behaving inappropriately in public worship by throwing off their God ordained gender distinctions. What in the world is going on here in this text? Well, I think some cultural background on head coverings will be really helpful at this point. This is ancient Corinth. This is 50s A.D. is a long time ago. This is in the Middle East. And what we know about Middle Eastern culture especially ancient Middle Eastern culture, is that the reason women wore head coverings was basically for two reasons. Number one, as a symbol of feminine modesty and purity. Do we not still see this in the Middle East today? A symbol of feminine modesty and purity. Number two, as a symbol of submission to her husband or to her father, As the head of her home. One commentator put it this way The head covering is a symbol of a woman's modesty worn in public to mark her off as a private person intent on guarding her purity and so maintaining the honor of her husband and her father. It communicates to others in public that the woman is demure, chaste, and modest, and that she intends to stay that way. Ancient literature from this time in the Greco-Roman world suggests that it was taken for granted that respectable women should wear some kind of head covering in public. This was just the culture of the day. And I think we can understand that because it's still the culture in many countries around the world today, is it not? And so the problem that Paul is addressing here is that some women are going out. Christian women are not only going out into public, but they're coming to the worship service uncovered, whether that's a veil or some kind of of a head covering, we're not sure. But the problem with women going into public with their heads uncovered is that it displays feminine allure rather than modesty. It displays a desire to be seen rather than a desire to be chaste. In the second place, it's a symbol of independence and rebellion against her father or her husband. If if a head covering symbolizes, I have a head and I'm submitted to my father or my husband, then going out into public is publicly making a statement of rebellion against that headship. In fact, We have documentation that for a Jewish woman to go out uncovered was widely regarded as a disgrace because it was a sign of immodesty. In fact, Jewish law said that to go out with loose hair in public was a disgrace considered grounds for divorce. That's what a serious issue this was in that particular day. So why in the world of all people would a Christian woman go out into public or come to the public worship service of the church in such a manner? Why in the world would anyone do that? Well, frankly, we don't know. All we have here is evidence in God's word that it was happening and that Paul wanted to address it. So at a minimum. At the bare minimum. I, I think that it's fairly likely that this was an innocent mistake. The women were innocently forgetting to cover their heads because, why? The church met in people's homes where head coverings were not usually worn. And so very possibly, possibly, Women were in their own homes or coming to someone else's house, not wearing their head coverings, not thinking a thing about it. Paul hears about this or a question is asked to him by way of letter. And Paul responds and he says, I want you to understand something. This isn't right for you all. Right? That's the minimum. Very innocent. I think on the other end of the spectrum, the maximum is that these women were intentionally not wearing head coverings in order to express their freedom from any gender distinctions. Now, why would they want to do that? Well, because Paul teaches in Galatians chapter 3, listen to this. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ. So it's possible that both men and women wanted to kind of blur the lines of gender because of their misunderstanding of their new status in Christ. They they say we're all Christians now. That means that we're not men, we're not women. We're like the angels. We're, We're genderless beings now. We're no longer men, no longer women. And so throw off any form of gender distinction. And that fits with what's going on here in this letter, doesn't it? Because at root, the Corinthians had an a warped sense of spirituality, and it led them into all kinds of terrible things. You remember, they thought that because of of Jesus being single, that they should all be single, so they were divorcing their spouses. And these people find out that, hey, in Christ, there's no no, uh, male and female anymore, so let's just dispel with all gender. It's possible, but frankly, we don't know. Paul's point. Paul's point couldn't be any more clear. (laughs) This text might be difficult. This text might be complex. But Paul's point is as clear as black and white on a page. Women can and should participate in public worship but they must do it in a way that honors God-ordained male headship over his church and over their home. Look at verse 6. Since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, what? Let her cover her head. Pretty clear, isn't it? Verse 7. A man ought not to cover his head. Verse 10. A wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Pretty clear. Verse 13. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? That's a rhetorical question that begs the answer no. It's not proper. Verse 16. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So friend, Paul's point to the church at Corinth is women can and should participate in public worship, but they must do it in a way that honors God-ordained male headship over that public worship service. Do you see that? Now, let's not overlook one blaring fact here. Paul has no problem, zero problem, with women praying or prophesying in the public worship service. We're going to explore that more as we study the rest of this letter. But his major point here in correcting this problem is that while women can and should pray and prophesy in the public worship service, they must do it in such a way as to honor the male headship that God has ordained over that church and not shame themselves, not shame their husbands, whether their husbands were Christian or non-Christians, and not shame the Lord. And so to argue his point, Paul actually begins with the principle of headship. I've stated the problem as clearly as I know how. I have stated his point that I think is obvious in this text. And so now let's look where Paul begins. He begins with the principle in verse three. Look at this. What is all of this based on? What's where's Paul coming from? Well, while I can commend you for keeping a lot of the traditions that I've given to you, there's one thing we need to talk about. Verse 3, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife or a woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. The key word here is obviously head. What does that mean? that the head of every man is Christ and that a wife's head is her husband and look at the end of that, that Christ has a head and his head is God, the Father. Head equals authority, responsibility, leadership. And this teaches us Three lessons, at least, about headship. Number one, look at this. God has ordained headship for everyone. The only one who doesn't have a head is who? God. Yeah. The only one who doesn't have a head is everyone else has a head that has been ordained by God. Men have a head. Women have a head. Christ have a head has a head. Not this physical head, but a metaphorical head. Their authority, their responsibility, their leader. Number two, headship emphasizes God's design and God's order for how things are to be not valued. Paul is not setting up an order of importance here. God, Christ, men, women at the bottom of the pack. Still and again. No, that is not what Paul is doing here. I know that for sure for two reasons. Number one, because verses 11 and 12 make that explicit. One of Paul's six arguments for this, he specifically stops, calls a timeout, and then writes verse 11 and 12. And he says, I've been talking to you about male headship, but nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so now... Man is born of woman, and all things are from God. In other words, the first woman might have come from man, but every man since has come from a woman. We're not talking about value and and inequality here. This is not an order of superiority and inferiority. I know that for a second reason, because Paul puts Christ last. He doesn't start this order of importance, so to say, by saying, you know, you have, you have Christ and then God and then men and women. No, he says very first one in verse 3, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, head of a, of a wife is her husband, and then in last place he says, the head of Christ is God. This is not an order of importance. And because we know That Christ and the Father, the Son and the Father, are equal, co-eternal members of the Trinity. God is the head of Christ. The husband is the head of the wife. And there's no inequality there. Not inferior. Not unequal. Christ is the same as God. Women are the same as men. Headship emphasizes design and order, not value. Lesson number three, the rest of the text, verse 4 through 16, everyone, everyone who has a head is to bring honor and glory to their head and not bring dishonor and disgrace or shame to their head. And Paul is saying all of that because he's addressing a problem where the women were bringing shame to their husbands, Christians or non-Christians, by throwing off their gender distinctions and going to public worship services without their head covered in that society. Paul's setting up the argument that what an individual does to his or her physical head reflects positively or negatively on their metaphorical head. Headship. Headship. Not just head coverings. That's the principle that underlies all of this. And then verse 4 through 16. He gives six perspectives that explains his point. What was his point? Women can and should participate in public worship, but they must do it in a way that honors God-ordained male headship over his church. Paul comes at it from six different angles. And he explains. I don't have time to go through all of these. I've given you some notes there to be able to go back and review this later. We're under number four, perspectives. Perspective number one, Paul comes at it from the perspective of culture. Verse four through six. Let's read this again. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, meaning Christ. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head meaning her husband, or her male head in authority at her church, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Verse 6, For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair, cut off her hair or shave her head, then let her cover her head. Listen here, Paul is primarily presenting his argument for why women should cover their heads. In that culture, men did not cover their heads. Women did. To do the opposite was to, quote, dishonor your metaphorical head. Christ or a husband. So Paul resorts there at the end of verse 5 and 6. He sort of resorts to hyperbole to make the point that if a woman appears bareheaded, it's as shameful as being shaved. And since it's shameful to be shaved, then she should cover her head. Now, what's that all about? Again, we have to go back to the ancient Corinthian culture to understand this. According to Tacitus, who was one of the greatest Roman historians who lived just right after Paul. So this is in the 50s. Tacitus was uh, born in the 50s and then lived into the 120s. According to Tacitus, the husband of an adulterous wife cuts her hair strips her and banishes her from the house. Her shaved head is imposed upon the adulteress to expose her publicly. Being bareheaded was equal to being shamed. And so Paul says, hyperbole, if a woman is not going to cover her head, then she might as well go out in public with a shaved head, which in that day indicated what? According to Tacitus. That certainly explains why it would bring shame on her husband to do this. so he ends that particular exhortation with, let her cover. And the ESV adds there, let her cover her head. That's the perspective of culture. Perspective number two, Paul comes at it from the perspective of creation. So not just what the world says about it and culture, but what's a theological position on this? And just like headship was displayed in the Corinthian culture by head coverings, now Paul says in perspective number two that headship was ordained by God in creation. You go all the way back. Headship was God's idea from the very beginning. And God's the one who ordered this up. Look at verse 7, 8, and 9. For a man ought not cover his head. Why? Since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. Huh. Verse 8. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Circle the word th- from. From. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Circle the word for. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. That's very interesting. I told you this was a complex, difficult portion of scripture. It would take me a lot longer than these few minutes to explain all of this. I encourage you to go back and study this later. But from the perspective of creation, Paul is primarily presenting his argument for why men should not cover their heads. A man ought not cover his head. Why? Since then Paul shows that God ordained headship was part of his creation from the very beginning. What was the order of creation? Again, not value, but simply order. What was the order? God created man first. The woman was created second. And though both men and women were created in God's image, the woman was brought into being by God to be a helper fit for the man, according to Genesis chapter 2. The creation of woman was designed to bring help and glory to the man. He was insufficient alone. And so the woman was given to him as a complete, a complement. And so, verse 8... She came from him, verse 9, she was created for him. Now, that's God's order of creation. If we believe the Bible and we believe that God was the creator of the world and that is a reputable account of creation, then that's how it happened. We can't do anything about that. And we see that for a while, Adam was alone and God said everything was good until then. And then he said, it is not good that man is alone. And then he created woman. And how did he do it? Did he reach down and get the same dust of the ground that he got for to make old grubby Adam? No, he put Adam to sleep in Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. I'm quoting verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs closed up its uh, place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man and the man said, now that is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Headship was ordained by God in creation. From the very beginning, God set man as head of the home and woman as the helper. Perspective number three. Verse 10. Read verse 10. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Do you have any idea what that means? <laughs> you could read 10 different commentators and they'll tell you 10 different things. What in the world? Because of the angel. Okay, I get culture, I get creation, but what in the world do the angels have to do about it? Headship apparently is observed by the angels. This could mean messengers, but I don't think so. It's an extremely difficult text. And the Bible often talks about angels actually observing the creation and being part of worship. And so it's assumed that women should demonstrate their headship, uh, their submission to male headship as a witness to the angels. Great. Perspective number four. Perspective number four. Verse 11 and 12. The counterbalance. So far, Paul has been really heavy on male headship, hasn't he? He doesn't want anyone to misunderstand, so he gives a counterbalance, verse 11 and 12. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Just because God gave headship to men does not mean that men are superior and women are inferior. Consider this perspective of creation, man. Every one of us have come from our mothers, God is the only supreme being because he is the author and source of all things. It's a good counterbalance and much needed, not only here in this text, but in the world today. Perspective number five, I told you I was going to have to go very quickly through this verse 13 through 15. Now he gives a perspective from what Paul calls nature. I think nature refers to the natural instinctive sense of what's right and wrong and normal in our world. Verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. Paul's point seems to be that a woman's long hair is an indication that she needs to wear a covering. Paul contends that it is shameful, according to cultural mores and natural thinking, for men to have long hair. And for women, however, long hair is their glory. Women should follow the lead of nature and social decorum and cover their heads. It's Paul's argument from the perspective of nature. Finally, finally, verse 16, from the perspective of the church. Headship is universally observed in the churches. Look, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. So just to sum up, headship is displayed in the Corinthian culture through head coverings. Headship was ordained by God in creation. Headship is observed by the angels, apparently. Headship does not mean inequality or inferiority. Headship is understood naturally and headship is universally observed in all the churches. There's a problem in Corinth. Men and especially the women within the church, were not maintaining Paul's tradition for male headship in public worship. Instead, they were dishonoring the Lord and one another by throwing off their God-ordained gender distinctions and roles. His point is, ladies, you can and should Be involved in public worship, but you should do it in such a way that honors your husbands rather than shames them. So now, now that we're out of time, what does this mean for Winchester Baptist Church? I think Paul was very clear to the church at Corinth. Do we take square peg, put it in square hole? Is this a one-to-one? Well, let me suggest that being more than just about head coverings, I have three quick applications for you. Number one. Paul speaks to us about traditions given to the church. Isn't that how we started? That's where I started. This application. Paul speaks to us about traditions given to the church. Winchester Baptist Church, let me ask you a question. Would our church receive a commendation or a correction from Paul about maintaining the traditions that have been given to us through the scriptures? We learn from this text that every church is to maintain the traditions that have been delivered to us from Jesus through his apostles and preserved for us in his word. Listen friends, this is God's church. And his scripture is our inspired and ultimate book of church order. We don't we're not free to do whatever we want to with church. That's why our the first promise that we make to each other in our church covenant is this. We will submit ourselves to Christ through his word. This is God's church. And we submit to his authority through his word. And the commendation of God about our church depends on us maintaining the scriptural traditions in every aspect of our life together in worship, community, and mission. Does it not? So, church, we glorify God by ordering our church according to his word. Friends, may God give us the courage to do this in the face of increasing unpopularity. That's application number one regarding traditions. Application number two. Paul speaks to us here about headship, specifically in the church or over public worship services. I think it's inferred about the home, but the context here is about public worship services and the church. We learn from this text, listen, we learn from this text, it is absolutely essential that both men and women participate in public worship in such a way that honors God ordained headship over His church. Absolutely essential for both men and women that we all honor God ordained headship. Over his church. So the question is this. How do men. Honor God ordained headship. Over his church. Men how do you do that. By submitting to Christ. Who is the head of the church. And Christ. Has appointed elders. Qualified men. Not women. To lead his church. You'll have to take this up with the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over men. He's talking about the church. So men honor God-ordained headship by being elders and by submitting to the elders That God has placed over us. Men if if you're an elder. Then you are charged to serve this church. The same way that Christ. Serves his church. And that is. Not domineering over those in our charge. But being examples to the flock. Men who are not elders. Honor Christ. By honoring their elders. Just like every member of the church, you humbly follow your elders who have been given to keep watch over your soul. Second question. How do women honor God-ordained male headship over his church? This church. How do women honor God-ordained male headship over his church. This text begs the question, should Christian women at Winchester Baptist Church wear a head covering to show their honor and respect to their male heads over the church and to their husbands? First, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, To the Christian women in this room who wear head coverings, I have nothing but the utmost respect for you. Because it seems to me that your greatest desire is to honor the Lord, even at the cost of going against cultural norms. Nothing but the utmost respect for you. I will answer this question in a second way. After submitting myself to the authority of Scripture and studying this text carefully this week, as strongly as Paul makes this point and clearly as Paul makes this point to the church at Corinth, I'm not convinced that it is a scriptural imperative for every Christian woman in America. May I have just a few more moments to give you three reasons why. Reason number one, I'll go the same way Paul does. Paul went from scripture, Paul went from culture, and Paul went from other churches. Number one, from scripture. Because many, many other New Testament texts call for women and men to honor God ordained male headship, but no. Other New Testament text calls for head coverings. None. Paul is addressing a problem here. His main point is headship, not head coverings. So just like foot washing in John 13 or communal living in Acts chapter two, it's a reality in the scriptures, but it is not necessarily an imperative for the church. The rest of the New Testament does not maintain this imperative. In fact, when Paul addressed women in public worship services in first Peter uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, he makes no mention of head coverings whatsoever. And when Peter addressed women in 1 Peter chapter 3 made no mention of head coverings whatsoever. Maybe maybe that's because head coverings were were so obvious in that culture that you're like, of course he didn't mention head coverings. They're obviously necessary. Which leads me to my second reason. They're not obvious in our culture. Head coverings do not communicate headship in the American culture. Look, in our culture, women who go to Target or go to church without covering their head are not viewed as immodest or dishonoring their husbands. It's it's just not the case in our culture. And just like Paul talks about the traditions that he gave in the scripture, he brings culture into it. I bring culture in and I say, I just am not convinced that this is for everyone because head coverings are not common and culturally significant in our Western society like they are in Middle Eastern cultures. Look, if any woman here goes to a Middle Eastern culture today, you will likely put on a head covering, will you not? I thought it was interesting that it's actually flipped in this particular situation. I wouldn't wear a hat to church because... In our culture, it's still dishonorable to wear a hat to church. I I mean, a man who does not remove his hat during the national anthem or a funeral procession is viewed as dishonorable. That's still happening today. Therefore, I'm not going to stand up in a ballpark when national anthem's playing. And, you know, you see every father nudging their son, take the hat off because it's still a thing. But not so with women. Reason number three, and finally, I've taken enough of your time. Just like Paul argued from the point of scripture, from the point of culture, he also argued from the point of other churches. And while many churches throughout history have, and some denominations still do, require women to wear head coverings, the kinds of churches from which we come do not. In other words... Great churches, great men, great women have wrestled with this for centuries. They all have a desire, just like we do, to honor God. Just as Paul appealed to the common practices of the churches of his day, I appeal to the common practice of like-minded churches in our day. Bottom line, friends. This text is not so much about head coverings as it is about headship. And men and women are both called to glorify God by living according to God-ordained male headship over his church. Maybe this would have been a good message to preach last week. But may we do it, friends. May we do it. To give Christ our head all the glory. All the honor and all the praise. Even while the rest of the denominations seem to be going hard and fast. After female headship. Including many Southern Baptist churches like ours. Let's pray together. All right. Lord. Lord. The fact that Jesus is the head of this church is our hope in life and death. He's the only one who exercises perfect headship. He's the only one who exercises perfect submission to his head, the Father. And we thank you that we are rescued through his submission and by his headship. I pray that every man here and every woman here will submit to your designed for your church and your home, and I pray that you would be glorified in our families, in our neighborhoods, in Winchester, Virginia, and around the world as your church displays your order of headship. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.